It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Jaguars, your daily Jacksonville Jaguars podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to another episode of Locked On Jaguars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Uh, You know, it's been like one out of every five or so shows at this point, so you guys are kind of used to it. Uh, Misto Christopher, my co-host, is not with me tonight. He is off at a, I believe it's a U.S.-friendly soccer game down in Orlando, but he'll be back uh, next week. Uh, So as for now, I've got... My buddy Philip Pruce, who you can find on Twitter at Jackson Phil, joining me for the return of Philip Fridays. He's been a little bit busy in the past couple of weeks. That has, uh, you know, kept him away from the podcast. So, Phil, congratulations to you and the misses. Thanks, man. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, now I have a lot of work to catch up on, unfortunately. Yeah. The, you know, there's plus and minuses to a wedding, um, <laughs> including getting locked down for the rest of your life. Uh, whether that's a plus or minus, I guess it just depends on the person. <laughs> but it's good. But uh, happy for you guys. Happy to have you back. So let's get right to it. You kind of opened up your return from the wedding life with a slightly controversial, really well thought out, excellently written article in Big Cat Country that, you know, I've been running with the take that the Jaguars should absolutely not feel comfortable at any of the positions that they've signed guys as bargain buys. Tight end Jeff Swaim, right tackle Cedric Obwehi, even receiver Chris Conley, although I think he's probably the best and best value of the three right there. And it appears to me that from your article, you feel the same way about the guy that just got $50 million guaranteed, upwards of $102 million in total contract value, quarterback Nick Foles you don't think the Jaguars should be comfortable there no I I, I don't whatsoever and I think yeah, not investing in the backup position would be extremely foolish for a guy who's never started 16 games and is he I mean, he's 30 you know like he's not like 26 coming into his second contract he's been in the league for a little bit of time now and he hasn't proven that he can play full 16 games so um don't get me wrong. I'm now that he's here. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm not. I'm this. It wasn't a slight to Nick Foles, or you know, the sky is falling. It's it's cool that he's here. It's he he's in the fold. So, um, I just think it would be a huge mistake if they don't get some insurance behind him because he goes down say week twelve, week thirteen. He takes a lot of shots. He holds on to the ball a lot. I don't know if you watched any of the Baldy breakdowns. Um, on him that the Jaguars account retweeted, but a lot of those breakdowns are just him getting annihilated because he waits till the last possible second because he's a tough guy, and I like that. And I think his teammates are going to like that too. Um, but he's going to take those hits, and he's not made of fish tacos and Bud Light like Blake Forest, you know? <laughs> not you know, this indestructible guy that is a cockroach. No matter how hard you hit him, he just seems to be like the water guy from the Terminator and keeps coming back to life and bringing back up so i i think if if they went into the season with cody kessler as the backup and nick Foles goes down week 12 week 13 i'm gonna be so insufferable and be hitting the i told you so so hard because you could see it from a, a hundred miles away now before we move on to the actual subject of your article what if it were alex magoo <laughs> why you gotta do that i know he's your favorite so i'm putting you between a rock and a hard place yeah so i alex magoo's my guy um i remember i had the conference usa last year for optimum scouting and i remember hitting up eric galco and i'm like hey have you seen this magoo guy at florida international he goes dude i have i had no idea that a person with that name was even on planet earth i was like <laughs> oh well <laughs> I think he's, I think there's something here. And uh, then 
he, he impressed me all season long whenever I watched him. Really good arm strength, really athletic guy, Cavalier. Um, made all the throws. And then when uh, I, I kept saying, like, if he's not a – if he's not a priority free agent, I think he's going to get drafted really late. And then I remember Eric was like, well, yeah, whatever. And then sixth round, the Seahawks took him, and I just had the biggest smile on my face, you know? And uh, that, that, was, that was really cool to see. But uh, he then all he did at that point was have a really good preseason with the Seahawks. And, I mean, he was awesome. If you, if you have NFL Game Pass, go back to uh, preseason. I know it's preseason, and he was going in, like, really late. But – it's not so much that it's like just some of the physical arm talent and some of the throws that he made was like, wow, you know? So that's really exciting. I, he's definitely not a guy that I want to put in though. If Nick Foles goes down in week 13, you know, <laughs> um, he's the, don't get me wrong. I'm excited about him. I'm going to be thrilled to see him in camp in person this year for the first time. Hey, Jacksonville. Yeah. So, um, I'll be really looking forward to seeing him live, um, and just seeing him throw it around. But, if if you're looking at John DeFilippo as the offensive coordinator in the quarterback room that he had in Philadelphia with the Eagles, like he's basically their Nate Sudfeld right now. You know, he's kind of that third quarterback, someone hopefully that they can develop and uh, take a year in the system, slow play him, and uh, hopefully he can turn into a really, really good backup um, with starter potential down the road because I think he's really talented. Well, you just mentioned you going to camp. I'm going to have to try and get you a credential so you can actually, you know, speak with your favorite Alex Magoo. Um, yeah, I'm a high five. But you've got another favorite QB, uh, much like I do, who isn't wearing black and teal right now. And just a couple of weeks ago, we thought the chances were very, very strong that he would be. They don't seem as strong anymore, but you've given people a lot of reason to think about why he still should have a good chance to. Dwayne Haskins at seventh overall, if he falls there, if he falls past New York or other teams don't trade up for him, you still believe that Jacksonville should take him at seventh overall. And I've put out a lot of work recently on like TJ Hawkinson and, you know, other avenues that they could follow. And there's going to be more to come. Check out all the scouting reports at LockedOnJaguars.com. So it appears like I feel a different way. I do not. I I'm in your camp where I believe that if Dwayne Haskins is there, you prioritize a backup quarterback who's going to be the long-term future for your team over a backup defensive end, just in my opinion there. But I want you to give the people that just read the headline that of you saying the Jaguars should take Haskins at seventh overall, even with Nick Foles here that just read that and overreacted saying, this is awful. What a terrible idea. I want you to break it down as to like in the best way that you can without, you know, taking away clicks either. Cause I want you to get those <laughs> clicks up as to why that should be what they do. Yeah. I, I do think that's what they should do. I think, I think that's what they would do too. And, and to be honest, I know I'm the only person that probably thinks that, um, out there, but I, I, this franchise just hasn't had the guy behind center you know and it's, it's been quite a while you know it's not like they're an expansion team anymore it, it's been quite a long time and you know there's just not that guy that comes to mind right away for the casual fan when you say the Jacksonville Jaguars when it comes to the quarterback there's no Joe Montana here there's no Brett Favre you know there's no Peyton Manning nothing like that so um until they get that position stabilized once and for all I think they're just going to be spinning their wheels and I know they just paid Nick Foles and they could have all the hope and all the dreams and you know everything into uh, Nick Foles and uh, that's great but you really just have to hedge your bets in my opinion and just make sure that you're not only protecting the team for this short-term window which I think Foles was a really good signing to do that um, and, and remain competitive right away under John DeFilippo but I think you also have to protect your long-term future. And there's been a lot of clues, um, to be honest, um, from all three decision-makers, if you really pay attention closely. I mean, Doug Marone was at the Combine, and he was basically – he seemed torn, right, like when he was talking to the, mm -hmm. to the media at the Combine. He was like, well, you know, it's just – like the question was about something not even related, and he just kind of went off on a tangent. He was just like, you know, it's just – it's really hard. It's really frustrating because, like, you know, you're, you're – you're, you're trying to win now, you know, and you're trying to get the best guy to win now. And then the front office, you know, they're, they have a different 
job. They have a different responsibility. They have a different task. They're trying to make sure that, you know, they're, they're keeping the future of the team in mind and everything. So everything about that, when I was listening to it, just kind of screamed um, that they've had a lot of internal dialogue about the direction they want to go in. And it sounds like the front office was really had their eyes on somebody in particular. Um, and, uh, you know, the Doug Marone knowing that, you know, he's kind of on thin ice, didn't want to entrust his, uh, his 2019 season into a rookie, um, and waste another year with that defense. So that was kind of the first clue. The second clue is listening to Dave Caldwell and kind of listening to him talk about why Blake Bortles didn't pan out. And, um, he kind of like blamed the fact that, Blake Bortles had to come in prematurely and they really, really, really wanted to redshirt him and that was the plan and they were going to stick to the plan. And then Chad Henney was just so, so incompetent that they had no choice but to uh, put Blake in and uh, kind of scrap that plan. And I think Dave Caldwell's kind of like the cat with nine lives. You know, I think uh, he, he's going to have another chance here. And I think if he's going to pick another quarterback, he's going to do it right this time, you know, and he's going to do everything in his power to have that guy kind of sit and learn and not have to throw him into the fire right away. And then, um, and then Coughlin, when he, he spoke, he, he also said that it didn't, you know, take them out of the quarterback running. I know it's unclear as to, you know, whether that means a third round quarterback or a late round guy or whatever, but he said that, you know, the, the full signing won't have any impact on their decision-making when it comes to evaluating the quarterbacks in this class, et cetera, et cetera. Now, like I said before, I don't really want to, like, take away clicks from you at this point. Like, it's clear that your logic is set here, but you and I have really agreed on something that uh, people are not really thinking about when it comes to the backup position. People would like to half-measure it. And that's something the Jaguars are so good at because they always do it and it always comes back and slaps them across the face with half measurements. Uh, look at the 2018 offseason extending Bortles, not bringing back A-Rob and panicking to sign you know, Dante Moncrief to a huge deal in Marquise Lee. Isn't it great when they take half measurements? Uh, but you and I both agree that drafting a quarterback on day two would be an insane half measurement to follow up with Nick Foles. And that if they're going to be bringing in another quarterback, it needs to be at 7th with Haskins. Or you utilize the depth of the class through from this day one, obviously, through day two to build around Foles. And then you take that true project guy later on. And I wanted you to just kind of elaborate on that because, you know, this team, let's look at their needs. Tight end, uh, right guard slash right tackle. Uh, rotational edge, maybe a free safety. Uh, obviously, as much offensive line depth as you can find. Uh, perhaps a big-bodied receiver, a, a complimentary running back. Like, there's all these needs that, even if they're not pure starters, they serve important roles. So, not taking, not shoring up your future at quarterback at seventh overall to then waste one of your two third rounders when there's really great value on some of those positions I just listed off there just comes off as totally half measured. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's kind of looking at this, like you said, the sweet spot in the draft. They should only take a quarterback in my opinion, if they, if in their evaluation, they think that the guy can turn into a franchise elevator. What I mean by a franchise elevator is, you know, he elevates the level of play of everybody around him. And in, in my evaluation, I think Dwayne Haskins is that I think if Haskins was in the draft last year, with, you know, the quote-unquote really good quarterback class. I think he'd be right there, kind of 1A and 1B with Baker. I think I'd still have Mayfield number one. Remember last year I hopped on the pod and kind of professed my love for Baker, and uh, he's still my guy, but Haskins would be kind of right in that conversation and definitely be second in that class. And I think if he came back next year, he would be first in the class, um, without a doubt. If he did all that, you know, out of the gate, cold turkey, with you know, first 14 games and set big 10 records. Imagine how good he would be another year in the system, another year for Ryan day. He would only do, you know, do a better job because he was getting better as the season progressed. So you have an opportunity to take a guy, you know, with the seventh overall pick, if he were to fall in your lap. And, uh, I don't think that they should pass on that because I think he's special. And that's the only way I would see them taking a quarterback. And I, that's the only way I've see them that they should take a quarterback is if in their evaluation they feel that the guy can really, truly be a franchise elevator because um, I think Nick Foles is a good manager, but I don't think he's necessarily going to, 
you know, elevate the whole team. I know he's a great locker room guy. I know that I mean, the, the level pay, play at the position is going to be much better. Um, but let's face it, the, lo- the level, you know, the bar has been set so low here in Jacksonville, it's not exactly hard to do. Yeah, I mean, it literally can't get worse than what happened last year, right? It totally mm-hmm. can, by the way, because we say that. Um, but no, I don't think it can, in all honesty. And yeah, that's the that's been the thing, is that, you know, people didn't like the idea of Foles, so now Foles is awful. And I don't think that's the case at all. But I think the I think your I guess it was your headline with the article, like reading it is now I'm blanking on exactly what it is. Pretty much the like overboard fix the quarterback position. Yeah, go overboard on fixing it. Like mm. they they can't go wrong by overboard going overboard to try and do like fix the position for the long term. Have that guy. Because here's the other thing, though, too, Zach. Like, if they do end up taking it, if he slips the seven and they take him, who's going to be mad? Do you know anyone that's going to be, like, furious that they took Dwayne Haskins? Jaguars Facebook, the people that think he's Byron Leftwich. But I understand your point. <laughs> and if those people are like, mad, it's probably a good thing. I've been listening to – yeah, that's that, that's one thing. <laughs> um, but I've been listening to all the you know local guys, John Osher, Mike Dempsey – uh, today, Jeff Lagerman, Tony Baselli, uh, yesterday, Joe Cower, um, and uh, Matt Hayes, and they all said that they would take him. And isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Like, they just dished out all that money on Foles, and all those people that cover the team all agree that they would probably take him if they if he fell down to seven. And that, that's alarming to me. Yeah. I mean, I I'm just so curious as to whether or not they will. I mean, you make good points as to why they obviously should that I completely agree with. You make good points as to why they would. I'm skeptical still because, you know, we've gone into things before where, you, like in 2017, um, the rumors came up that, hey, they, they, like, they like some of the quarterbacks. They're not going to rule it out um, at fourth overall. And then – they took Fournette and Coughlin came out afterwards and essentially said, I have no idea where that came from because that wasn't a thing. Whether mm-hmm. or not it wasn't or was is yet to be seen. I believe it was a thing. Um, but regardless, like I, th- I think they're good at that. I think that we've talked about like this is the season of smoke, um, in which case you know, the difference between whether or not they would or would and should is drastic until they prove otherwise that – you know, they're being smart with their long term, you know, what's going on with their quarterback position. But I think your article nailed it. I think the logic's perfect. If you guys haven't seen that yet, make sure to go check it out at bigcatcountry.com. What is the official title of it? Uh, 2019 NFL. I'll go overboard to fix the quarterback position. Make sure to check that out if you haven't already. Re- really, really great work there. And. When we come back, we're going to move on from just talking about the quarterbacks. We're going to talk about those free agents that they signed and the value that they bring. And after that, when we move on to our third segment, we're going to be talking about the sweet spots throughout the NFL draft to address these positions of need. We'll be back after these messages. Today's episode of Locked on Jaguars is brought to you by A1 Sliders. Are you one of hundreds of coastal Northeast Florida homeowners who struggle every day to open and close your sliding glass door? Why spend all the money it takes to replace your sliding glass door when Tony and the gang at A1 Sliders could save you money and repair your door for you? A1 Sliders is licensed and insured. They offer free estimates, upfront pricing, and will help you save on heating and cooling costs in your home from leaky sliding glass doors. And at A1, your schedule comes first. A1 Sliders is a fan of the Locked On Jaguars podcast, and in partnering with us, they will give you $25 off of any repair you order, no limit. Just mention Locked On Jaguars before getting your repairs done. Call A1 Sliders now for your free sliding glass door repair estimate at 386-538-6835, or check out their website at www.a1sliders.com. That's 386-538-6835 and www.a1sliders.com. And don't forget to mention Locked On Jaguars for $25 off of any repair you order. A1 Sliders Licensed and Insured LLC covers the Jacksonville area from Fernandina Beach through New Smyrna Beach, based out of Palm Coast, Florida. 
Contact for more details on location and any questions you may have. Hey guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line or... Could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, Dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So I'm pulling up the numbers now so we can go over them in full, Um, but the Jaguars did make a couple of what we call really nice bargain buys on the second wave, third wave of free agency uh, beyond the obvious Nick Foles signing. Um, They brought in Jeff Swaim, who is a tight end from Dallas, uh, started off the year there after Jason Witten retired. And the the joke that I like to make is like Jason Witten's coming out of retirement because of how that tight end position played out after he left. But in all seriousness, Swaim is – on the books for $2 million in 2019, uh, at least in the ballpark of from a league source to Philip Heilman of the Times Union. Um, and that's I think that's good value for a dude that's going to come in and he blocks. I mean, he was prioritized as a blocker in Dallas. That's what the Jaguars wanted out of, out of their tight ends. I don't think that's overpaying much, especially when you look at some of the blocking free agent tight end deals we saw like uh, who was it? Nick Boyle signed like three years, eighteen million, uh, and a guy that also in Swaim that you know showed some flashes of being able to you know play as a receiver a little bit, almost kind of like a James O'Shaughnessy role. Who was also brought back today on a con- uh, he was re-signed uh, just Thursday morning. Uh, wide receiver then Chris Conley uh, at around one point eight million. I think that's the steal out of all of them because I think he's going to start this year, and then. Right tackle Cedric Obwehi, uh veteran minimum, right around $800,000 for a fifth-year player, who I quite honestly don't believe will make the roster when it's all said and done, but I understand why they signed him, uh, which we'll talk about here. Um, but, I mean, what was your initial reaction to some of these moves? I like them a lot, and I, I think this is how free agency should be used, you know, as kind of patching up roster holes, and I, I – really want to get to the point where we stop, you know, making these big splash free agency signings because, uh, you know, that means that you have a lot of cap room and that means you have a lot of cap room because you haven't drafted well and uh, haven't had the need to extend any of your own guys, you know. So the mark of a lot of the good teams that you'll see are the ones that are picking at the end of the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round because they got those compensatory picks. And I think um, once once this team could start going into that direction and start accruing some of those, they'll be in a good shape. But for the meantime, in, in this free agency class, I, I, I have no issues, whatever. I, I really like what they did. And – who do you think presents the best value? I, I figure that it's going to be Conley because I, I do think he starts this year. And if he doesn't start, that means they drafted someone who came in and won in camp pretty early. But I think Conley ideally will come in and play Z, um, rotate there a bit with um, Westbrook playing a little bit outside. But Westbrook also played so well from the slot that you want to keep him there as much as you can. Whereas I think they view Chark probably as the X until they have someone that they probably feel more comfortable with at the X. But I'm sure that's probably where they're going to want to put it because I don't think Conley would really be the X here. Um, but as a whole, like, what do you think of – who do you think was the best value and who will provide the most for this team going forward? Value is probably Conley. And here's the thing, like, XZ slot, that matters – more to a lot other teams than it does, I think, right now to this team with John DiFilippo because I think he's going to try to rotate his receivers a lot. 
you know, and kind of take take advantage of mismatches and um, preparation and what he sees in opposing defenses. So, I, I yeah, Conley can line up in the X on one play, and then Char can line up in the X, and they could kind of move them all around. And I think that's kind of the type of guy that they're going to target as well in the draft that they add that sixth receiver to the roster right now. Um, no offense to CJ Board on the futures deal, but. You know, like a guy like Gary Jennings from West Virginia, he played mostly slot at West Virginia, but we saw him at the Senior Bowl. They were rotating him X, you know, Z slot, and he was equally adept at all three spots. And I think that's going to be really important for their wide receiver evaluation. And I think, I don't think they even have it set in stone right now, to be honest with you, Zach. I think they're going to kind of let it all play out in camp and try the guys at different spots and see who's responding. And we don't even know how, how Marquise Lee's going to look right now. So, um, definitely some question marks there, but Conley would be the answer to your question in terms of probably the best value signing. You think Cedric O'Boyhe's going to make the final roster? <laughs> I don't. I I don't. <laughs> no, I I don't. I think he 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 was so bad. And here's the thing: it's not like Cincinnati had you know some scrub as an offensive line coach. They had Frank Pollock, who's one of the best. You know, so I know Doug Marone's really excited about George Warhop and. He thinks that he's a really good developmental player, you know, a developmental coach, and could get the most out of players and maybe kind of um, rejuvenate Cedric Obehi, who had first-round talent, obviously, because he got selected there. And at least one team in the NFL thought that he warranted that selection. So um, they'll try to fix him. And, heck, you know, the same, people said the same thing about Eric Flowers when they signed him here last year, and he ended up being okay, you know. He uh, got four million dollars from the from the Redskins to put on a one year deal. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. I don't think he's gonna. I don't. I think it's just another body because there's just no bodies, and you know, at a veteran min- minimum salary, what's there to lose? Yeah, and I think he meets their thresholds, which is something that I've talked about a lot on here of a project that Demetrius Harvey is working on at LockedOnJags.com. Uh, really, you know, putting together what the Jaguars seem to like in terms of size. Uh, Doug Marone. Uh, obviously is the head coach, offensive line background, has some decision-making here. Um, he's got a, he has a body type at, um, at tackle. And obviously, like, if they like a player enough on tape, they, they, might go, they might shy ever so slightly away from that threshold. But when it comes to these, like, bargain deals, like Eric Flowers, like Cedric Obwehi, you know, they might not have been any good where they were before, but they fit that type to a T, that they're willing to work on with them on a project like a vet minimum deal for a boy. He like, I didn't understand people being upset about because at, at, at best, like he comes in and wins a depth spot because they like his intangibles uh, and want to develop him more or he gets cut and you lose nothing. Precisely. And Jeff Swain. Uh, I, th- I, I think that there's potential there for him to, like literally compete with O'Shaughnessy, but both of them are also so cheap that you could, if you draft two tight ends or have a priority undrafted free agent come in as well as a drafted tight end, like you could let one of them go at some point if they get, you know, outcompeted in camp. But what do you see from a guy like him and how much he'll contribute? Yeah, I think Swain's a, a lot better blocker than O'Shaughnessy. Um, lots of Cowboys fans really liked Swain. You know, and, and that's usually a good sign because he, he wasn't, you know, the top tight end on the depth chart by any stretch of imagination. But um, if James O'Shaughnessy did sign with the Steelers, I don't think too many of us would have been that shaken up, right, outside of Mike K. And, you know, um, but they're they're a little bit different, O'Shaughnessy and Swaim. I think Swaim's a much better blocker. I think Swaim can also moonlight as a fullback on any type of those special packages and make sure that you don't have to waste a roster spot on a designated fullback like they did with Tommy Bohannon last year. And uh, he's a really, really underrated athlete. His athletic web is actually pretty decent. So um, John Filippo, he does a really good job scheming the tight ends open. And obviously Nick Foles really is adept at finding those tight ends and distributing the ball out to them. So I wouldn't even be surprised if Jeff Swaim had a you know Gary Barnage type season that John D. Filippo got out of him in Cleveland. So I think that could be a sneaky, really good signing. Now, I've been kind of adamant about this is that yes, these are, you know, nice signings. Conley probably has a chance at starting. Swaim has the opportunity to be a contributor. A boy he has the ability to possibly be a key depth piece if he develops much better here compared to what he did in Cincinnati. But I firmly believe that this should, none of these should have any 
you know, altering as to what their draft plan would be. And not just at seventh overall, but as the draft goes on, like if you like a tackle as a developmental guy, like a only you an only you do out of Elon as a developmental right tackle, the signing of Cedric Obwehi should not stop you from taking him. The signing of Jeff Swaim should not stop you from considering TJ Hawkinson at seventh overall. The signing of Chris Conley should not stop you from the idea of Terry McLaurin in the third round, right? Yep, I absolutely agree with that. And the only thing that I would say probably might change a little bit is with the depth chart looking like Jeff Swain, James O'Shaughnessy, Ben Koyak, if they did take a guy like Hawkinson in the first round, Zach, um, I'm not so sure anymore that they would double dip, you know, in round six or seven and take a Tommy Sweeney or Trayvon Wesco at that point because it would just be a lot of bodies. So I think that's the only way it would kind of like affect it, but I don't think it would affect their decision-making, especially in the first uh, four, four rounds of the draft. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, and I'm a fan, I'm a fan of double dipping at tight end if they need to. Um, but you make a good point like that, that becomes a lot more, I think it's still, you know, plausible in a sense, if they're just trying to totally blow that position out of the water, but yeah, it's much more likely obviously Mm -hmm. with Irv Smith and Foster Moreau rather than TJ Hawkinson, just in general. Right. I, th- totally. I, th- I think it's plausible, but if you get in a situation, because it's a really deep running back class, right? They had like mm-hmm. an insane amount of junior running backs underclassmen running. So if you have, if you get to that point in round six, round seven, you have a running back rated high and you have a tight end rated somewhere close, they'll probably go with that running back at that point. If that makes sense because right. they kind of need to fill out that position group out and that's, the tight end group. And- um, starters and that's what we're going to talk about in our next segment is the sweet spots at all these different positions of need for the jaguars running back is definitely one i want to talk about because that's not where they made a bargain signing i'm kind of surprised by that um i guess people are just going to consider thomas rawls to be that from back in january so when we come back we're going to talk about the sweet spots of the nfl draft if you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So with, I would like to do it based on positions of need for Jacksonville. Um, Not necessarily the sweet spot for every position because, I mean, the sweet spot for defensive end is like, the first overall pick, you're getting a dude that's going to be a bonafide star uh, in Nick Bosa. Just That's obviously just an example. Um, but so let's assume quarterback is not a need in the sense that they just went and paid Nick Foles all that money. I still would consider backup, but besides that. So looking at, you know, tight end is obviously one of their biggest. I would argue right guard is. I know they brought back Can, but can is very bad and you can get out you could literally get out of his deal in the preseason and not really deal with you know that much repercussion it's not it's only six million in guarantees it flips into savings by year two it's not a big deal um right tackle if you don't believe in will richardson then sure maybe uh sticking with the offense maybe adding another a third receiver uh you just don't know still what you're getting out of dj chark who's developing in his second year uh, and on top of that, your insurance policy, Marquise Lee, who they brought back last year, might not have a knee anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at running back, you have to replace two guys. I think you can find one guy to replace both TJ Yeldon and Corey Grant throughout this draft. It's not a good running back draft from complete backs that's top heavy, but I think it's a, actually a very good running back class as you go later on and find these guys who have clear-cut roles in the NFL where they'll be, you know, contributors for six or seven years doing certain things well in especially in committees uh in which case i think that you can find a way to replace those roles pretty well as the draft goes on then on defense you're looking for a guy to you know replace at at bare minimum replace dante fowler's third down edge rushing role um 
opposite of Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, there's also the potential to find an heir to Calais Campbell. Now that the Jake Ryan deal is on paper, I'm not so sure linebacker is going to be much of a priority. Before that deal, I was thinking that you probably will want to find an early down run stuffing type of linebacker at some point, maybe even undrafted free agency. Uh, In the back end of the defense, depth at corner because we saw injuries last year. They they ended up pulling D Delaney and he got some playing time in like week eight and D Delaney was an undrafted free agent last year. They actually had a couple undrafted free agents start at one point last year in terms of cornerback depth and safety. Um, I'm confident Gerard Wilson will be fine. I think Phil, you said it best when we were off air that if Gerard Wilson's your worst starter on defense, then your defense is just fine. Uh, but once you get behind Wilson, it's just totally bare, barren of talent for the free safety position. So I guess like if, if there's going to be any legitimate need or like the most upgradable starting position is free safety right now. But assuming that these are their needs, you know, let's go down the list and kind of figure out what the sweet spots are at each one. Uh, we'll start with tight end. So tight end, you got the big three, right? Um, that everybody's really excited about with Hawkinson, Fant, and Herb Smith. But after... Those three, there's a guy, there's a bunch of guys that I really like, and you probably know by now if you follow me on Twitter that the guy I really, really like is Foster Moreau from LSU. Um, he didn't have to do anything at LSU the way that the offense was set up, and I, Zach, we've had this conversation a few times um, on an alternate universe. If if Foster Moreau had gone to Iowa and T.J. Hawkinson went to LSU. I'm not so sure that we're not talking about Moreau like we are about Hawkinson and the other way around Um, because LSU never uses their tight end basically in the passing game. And uh, when we went to the Senior Bowl Mobile, I mean, Moreau was like hands down the best tight end there Mm -hmm. easily. And uh, he just kept flashing, kept making really athletic catches. And I'm not saying flashing in the run game because he's a really good run blocker. He he was the run blocker for Leonard Fournette in LSU, and they have a really close relationship. Um, in fact, um, I was reading somewhere that uh, Moreau is an honorary Fournette, um, dubbed by Leonard and Leonard, uh, which I think was interesting. And he's a really high-character guy, too, in the locker room, um, the kind of guy who could probably run for mayor one day. And... Uh, on top of being a good run blocker, his his receiving ability really showed up at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. And uh, then he went to the Combine and had a really, really good testing day. And uh, he's a lot more athletic than I even gave him credit for. So that's a guy that I'm really excited about. And uh, that th- round three, round four range, you could probably get a really good tight end, whether it's Moreau, Caden Smith from Stanford's another guy I really like. He didn't run very good, ran a 4.92, but that guy's a football player. Stanford tight ends seem to do pretty good in the league. Dawson Knox is another guy. Uh, Jay Sternberger is another guy. And then, of course, if worst came to worst and you couldn't get any of those guys, of course, Tommy Sweeney is the guy I've been talking to you about since September. That right. I really so. Yeah, there's there's value there's value split everywhere. Obviously, I've made it known I'm a huge Hawkinson fan because, like you said, he's the safest. He's he's that safe. And I, I really believe that in a very short amount of time, he could work his way up into that top tight end caliber talk. And I don't think you can guarantee that on just about any other tight end in this draft. However, there's guys that can come in and be starting caliber players. It's just obviously there's such a difference in today's NFL where, you know, if you have that dynamic tight end, that Rob Gronkowski, that Travis Kelsey, like, it's, it's a game changer. It's totally a game changer, and they're rare to find. But there are also teams that do get by with, like, a committee of tight ends or, like, that, you know, that solid tight end, like the Vance McDonald of the world or the Jared Cook of the world. Y- you know what I mean by that. And um, I think Foster Moreau fits that uh, totally. And I think that if they decided to not go tight end in the first round, Moreau is one of those guys that you really consider using one of your two-thirds on. Absolutely. And that's kind of where I stand at it. And, and like, I don't think anybody would complain really, um, for the most part from the fan base, if they did end up with TJ Hawkinson, because his floor is just so, so high, right? Like his potential to bust is there, there really isn't much of one. Um, so I think for a team like the Jaguars who have 
been kind of striking out on a lot of their first round picks um, in the last several years. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to hit a double um, instead of swinging for the fences to try to hit a home run. Um, so I think Hawkinson would be a really productive player. He'd play for a long time. He'd probably be, you know, a top 10 tight end, like you said, for, for a decade plus. And that's, that's not a bad thing. And, and the position's becoming more and more important, as you said. Um, it's just, it's just a, a matter of, you know, kind of how their board stacks up, their evaluation of players and whether or not they think he could be special and not just, you know, quite good. And, uh, you know, it, the other question is too, do you rather have, TJ Hawkinson at $5.3 million a year on a rookie deal? Or would you go with uh, Foster Moreau for 950 k for the next four years? That's another thing to consider too. No, de- it definitely is. It's just, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm sold on, his, on, on what he could end up being for sure. Um, now let's go ahead and move on to some of the other positions. We can just talk up not just p- specific right guard or <clears> – <throat> or right tackle, but offensive line as a whole, um, where you think that they could fill out better than taking a Jawan Taylor at seventh overall? Because I know you've got you you would question that a bit. Yeah, that would be the only pick that I would be probably really really um, upset about, frustrated about, if, is if they took Jawan Taylor um, seventh overall. I don't I don't value him there at all based on my evaluation, but that's besides the point. Um, it's, it's more kind of that sweet spot, that pocket and that their second round pick 38, they can get a really, really good, um, offensive lineman for that right side of the offensive line. And similar to how we talked about with Jared Wilson earlier that Jared Wilson's the worst guy in your line and you're pro- or on your defense, you're probably in good shape. Same thing goes for AJ can like AJ can is a, wor- a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. But if you have you know, your offensive line set up and he's the worst guy out of the five, he's the weakest link in the chain, then you're probably in really good shape because not a lot of NFL offensive lines are, you know, solid and have that type of start experience across the board. But if I'm the Jaguars, I'm circling that 38 pick and I I feel really, really confident that some guy is going to be there that could um, fill that role either at right guard, right tackle, and I would actually prioritize the guys on my big board that could play both. A guy right. like Dalton Reisner or Cody Ford can be right guard, right tackle. I know um, it's iffy if they last there, but if those guys don't last there, I know we talked about Chris Lindstrom. He could play right tackle. He has experience there, and he's definitely athletic enough. I know it's it's kind of iffy on the, on the size thresholds that you mentioned earlier um, and, and all that, but in terms of athleticism, he's definitely athletic enough. And mm-hmm. He has 34-inch arms, which is pretty darn good, and ran a 4.9140. And the other guy I really like at that right side is Caleb McGarry from Washington. I mean, he was absolutely outstanding at the senior bowl. I don't think he lost a rep all week. Um, so to have one of those guys available, I feel really good about at 38. And I and some of them might not be, but definitely some will. So that's yeah. I think I think I think the way you put it nailed it is you just circle that pick and you say it's offensive line. Yeah. Whether or not they will, like I said, it's like a, it's a difference between whether they will or whether they should. But right. I, I felt the same way for going back months. Is like that's the absolute sweet spot of where the the offensive linemen are going to go because you've got your potential high caliber prospects in Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor uh, mm-hmm. going up in that range. But they're they're I, like Chris Lindstrom, Dalton Reisner. I'm confident those guys can be ten year starters. Uh, yep. Obviously, injury factor is always something to think about, but those guys have also, you know, not missed a game. So that's just kind of a cherry on top. Yep. So running back, because I think I view the second running back position as a bigger need than receiver at this point. More so because we don't exactly know, you know, what their receivers are. I think D.D. Westbrook is a surefire probably by the end of this next year. My take is that he's going to be one of the better wide receiver twos in the NFL. Um I don't know if that's hot or not, but <laughs> as a whole, like I'm not saying to have a ton of confidence in the receiver group, but I think that there's enough potential to work with there that you don't like stress out over it. Like you don't go and sign Dante Moncrief to a $10 million deal again. Um, whereas running back two, like I'm not trusting Thomas Rawls or David Williams to be that guy. And I think there's a lot of guys that can do exactly what TJ Eldon provided, what Corey Grant provided throughout you know, even into day three of this draft, like you and I have talked about James Williams out of Washington State a lot. He's not got the most amount of size, but the dude is 
electric as a pass catcher out of the backfield. He's he's surprisingly for his size a, a pretty willing blocker. He's shifty. He's a different style than um, than Fournette. He doesn't have great long speed, but I mean, there's that run that we saw. Um, I believe it was was it the Washington Washington State game where he just I mean contact balance on just broken tackle after another after another after another like that was one of the better plays I think that I've watched just throughout this draft process he's definitely going to be one of my favorites but I mean as a whole not to get stuck on one guy I think that there's going to be a lot of you know late day two into day three guys that can fill that role a lot better than you know using a second round pick like they did on TJ Eldon a couple of years ago yeah, absolutely. I think for the, when it comes to the running backs, I think starting starting right at round three, at their pick at round three, was it 68 overall? Um, I think at that point, it's just a matter of what's your favorite ice cream flavor, you know, because there's a bunch of guys that are very capable at that point, and there's a lot of them. I think this is one of the highest amount of uh, underclassmen running backs that have declared in NFL draft history. So once you get to that third round point, you know, it's kind of take a look at the guys and and see if there's a Devin Singletary or another guy really like Justice Hill from Oklahoma State who mm-hmm. played in the combine 4-4-0, 4-yard dash, and uh, put up 21 reps, even though he's only 5'9 and less than 200 pounds. He's a really strong dude. Miles Sanders is another guy. Daryl Henderson is, I know, one of your guys. Um, Travion Williams, some are calling the most complete back out of the class. So if you're looking for a direct TJ Yeldon replacement that could, you know, stay in on third down and pick up blitzers and catch passes out of the backfield, he's an option. Uh, James Williams is another really good receiver out of the backfield. If you're looking for a more direct kind of uh, insurance policy for uh, Leonard Fournette, maybe a little bit later, uh, a guy like Benny Snell makes sense. He plays with a lot of passion. And uh, then there's a lot of good bargain guys once you get to day three as well. So um, a guy like Tony Pollard, if you're looking for a direct replacement for Corey Grant, kind of a speed guy. Uh, He's one of the most successful kick returners in NCAA history. Um, He's a lot faster on tape than he timed at the Combine. A a guy a lot of uh, Gators fans are familiar with, Jordan Scarlett, will probably be there. Um, There's just so many options. Another guy, Ty Johnson from Maryland, kind of a shifty guy. Uh, but still has some good weight to him. It's it's like I said. It's kind of it's less about what will be available and more about what kind of style you're looking for. And it's it's a good mix of all different kinds of styles. It just depends on what you want. And I think that's a position that's very probable that they will double dip in. Just looking at the depth chart. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, now, when I look at what they seem to want out of these backs, is obviously the pass protectors, pass catcher with. I would say pretty solid vision and something important that I think is important at a lot of different positions for the Jaguars is length. I think that's incredibly important at tackle. I think it's important in their secondary. Um, Is there anyone that, you know, when you hear those different things matches those boxes almost to a T? I think, I think a guy that would kind of check those boxes, Penn state, Miles Sanders. Um, I know that's a guy they met with at the combine too. So there's obviously interest there. Um, he's, he's probably one of the best prospects in terms of being a three down back at the next level. He's five ten and a half, 211 pounds. And, uh, he clocked on at four, four, nine on the 40 and he kind of got overshadowed a little bit, right? That's, that's just naturally what's going to happen when Saquon Barkley's ahead of you at Penn state. But, uh, he had a really good season as the man this year. And, uh, that's a guy that I would definitely keep in mind, um, you know, in, in that regard. And then. Another guy I know I've been telling you about for the longest time is uh, Alex Barnes from Kansas State. That dude's a freak. He's a weight room warrior. He put up 34 reps on the bench. Um, he's basically like a James Conner clone for me. So if if they want a player like that with kind of length and size, then that's another guy to consider. Now I realize we're going a little bit long. So considering what I just said about the receiver room and how I'm not too worried about it, we might have to skip over that one. Um, and... Let's go rotational edge because I don't – we talked about safeties a little bit before the show, and it's just not that great of a class in general. I don't think for safeties. Um, but rotational edge I do think is going to be important uh, with obviously the option of looking into a guy that could be the heir to Calais Campbell. Um, I've been very adamant in saying I don't think they should go defense at seventh overall. You've disagreed with me on that, and you have a – take uh with the way that you 
put together your board that you would go about it. So I I want you to share that, and then we also look past the seventh overall pick in a way that they can try and you know fix the rotational edge position. Yeah. So to to me, and and this is this is a personal thing, right? Because you know I I'm, I'm doing this stuff on my end for for my job, and it's really I have I have six grades. Uh, on six players like a special grade where they could really end up being a special player and um, of those grades a lot of them are defensive linemen so with the Jaguars picking seventh there's probably a good chance especially if the Cardinals go with Kyler Murray first overall he's 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 not one of those guys that I have graded with the special grade so there's a good chance that one of those one of those six guys that I've evaluated will be there for the Jaguars. And I think if someone has a grade of, of that or higher, then if I'm the GN personally, I take them. But like I said, that's kind of my own personal preference. And I'm just not entirely enamored with a lot of the guys later on in the draft. I think a lot of the value, uh, we're talking about sweet spots, right? I think outside the first round, maybe maybe top of the second round, you're really going to start to see a huge, huge gap in terms of you know the, the caliber of player that you can get outside of maybe a handful of names that I would be kind of excited about if they ended up picking up. Yeah, and that's and that's my thing is the, honestly the top ten picks even or is the sweet spot for defensive linemen in this draft. It's it's that good of a defensive line class, um, and you could honestly go like I mean maybe six or seven guys there, maybe more that you could genuinely argue into top 10 being from that group that you would feel pretty good about having long productive careers. It's just with me, it's, they did the same thing last year, albeit with the 29th overall pick. They, they went D line looking towards the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, they've seen how that paid off when they arguably had much bigger needs. Will Hernandez was sitting right there, and they passed up on him. Lamar Jackson, with quarterback being in need, they sat there and passed up on him. Obviously, we don't know how those guys would have panned out here, but in hindsight, those were the bigger needs. They passed on them. Jaguars went 5-11 and last year, and these guys are coaching slash roster building for their jobs at this point with what I still do believe is a top-talented defense in the NFL – and an offense that you know could go head to head with a D two football team, and I think we'd have ourselves a bit of a game. Um, <laughs> that that's obviously a bit of sarcasm, but at their lows last year, you might actually convince me of that. So it's where I say a premium pick like that. Like I'm not saying reach for a guy, uh, especially if hypothetically T.J. Hawkinson or. Jawan Taylor, and I know we have our like our issues with him, but in a sense that he's a top ten pick. If some reason they're not there, like I wouldn't love reaching for a guy, but I know that at least one of those guys will be there with the seventh overall pick. They're guys that you can argue into being top ten picks here. You have to fix this offense. You've got a talented defense, and you've convinced yourself that you still have a bit of a window to contend again while you're co- while you're you know. You're playing for your job right now. It just comes off to me as a bit of a waste of an asset to use that pick when you can truly elevate your offense to try and get back to matching the standard that was 2017. But I think that's just me. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, I think I think I think the team would probably go with the the best available because we, we we kind of seen it too. I don't know if you remember. Um, the the draft where they had a uh, Jamal Adams remember yeah. he was going to be the pick if Fournette wasn't there exactly and I mean the, the need at safety was they not, had signed Barry Church the month just before. signed Barry Church and they would have done it you know so that's why like I think picking at twenty nine and 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 doing that and picking at seven is really different and I think looking back at a lot of the drafts that they've had a lot of the misses in the first round um, I think you could attribute to a little bit of reaching as to why um, instead of instead of picking on other players. For example, like they really wanted an edge rusher during Dante Fowler's draft, so they, they ended up passing on Leonard Williams, and Leonard Williams was probably the better player, definitely the better player mm-hmm. um, in my estimation. So um, the, the one draft where the best player fell, right, and we didn't necessarily need a cornerback at the time, like, like desperately need, like it was good to have, right? 
Right. Uh, but it wasn't the top need on the board for sure when Jalen Ramsey fell. And uh, look what happened there. You know, so I think I, I just think it really depends on the board and how they evaluate someone. And if they think that a player has potential to be truly special to truly end up being like an Aaron Donald. Right. Or, or one of those special edge rushers, then I think they have to take that guy there at seven. And the, and the thing is that they can still fill out all the other holes on offense using the logic from the segment we just had before, you know, using the sweet spots and still end up with a really good draft that, that kind of hits all the other holes on offense, even if they just went DE first. And I get that. And if this were, if this was... If this was Jacksonville a couple years ago and the it, the defense isn't as talented then as it is now, obviously there's holes everywhere on both sides. Like you wouldn't get a you wouldn't hear a peep out of me when it comes to best player available. Like you you take that dude and you know you're getting a star or someone with the cat with the cat like the potential to be a star wherever you plug him in at. I just I do see this team being able to get back to 2017, maybe not a historical pass defense efficiency, uh, leading the league in almost all passing game categories, uh, pass defense categories, I should say, but it, it's still the majority of that core is there and able to play, but you need, they need as clearly as we saw in 2018, they need a support, the support system of the offense. So, I don't think they need to reach for a need on offense. I think that they genuinely can go best offensive player available at seventh overall, and I'd feel so much better walking out of that rather than having a defensive end. It just that's just how that's just how I'm operating here. But if we're gonna look at, um, I know we've said the sweet spot isn't really there past the first round, but who are some guys that you? You know, you could see filling if it's purely to be that third edge rusher that is not Dewani Smoot. Who do you think would be a good fit for that, even on day two? Because I think that you could, there are guys that can be role players on day two. Yeah, some of my favorite guys, maybe on the day two area, uh, TCU defensive end Ben Banigou. Uh, really, really explosive athlete, ran a 462, 40 inch vertical. Um, and that's just the testing numbers. I'm a big fan of his film as well, covering the Big 12 for, for Optimum Scouting. He's he's one of my guys. Um, I was I kind of liked what I saw from Chase Winovich. I know they really ran a 3-4 defense for the most part at Michigan, but he, he was another guy that tested really well on top of having really good gritty tape. He's a guy I think they might really like. Um, Joe Jackson from Miami is another guy um, who weighed in at 275, so he could kind of you know hold his own and hold the point of attack on the strong side uh, if if they want to keep that system going. Um, and then I guess another guy that just off the top of my head that we've talked about, but this would probably be a little bit more later in the draft. Uh, Carl Granderson from Wyoming. Um, he kind of had a dip in production this year, but there's a lot there to work with if you're looking for a developmental guy. And the nice thing about edge rusher is since they do seem pretty set on the defensive line for the most part for 2019, you don't really have to fo- rely on that guy to get a ton of production right away. And right. Uh, you kind of take the guy who you think has the highest ceiling and, uh, Pair, pair him with the coaching staff and see if he can d- develop and and uh, get the most out of him on that side because it would it would be really good to get another uh, speed rusher opposite of unique on you know those third and long packages where they could just pin their ears back and and go nuts and push Calais inside and just have a full speed rush package. Yeah, I definitely agree. And quite honestly, if they, I still think that they're that they much prefer having the big end five tech rather than two speed edge rushers. Uh, I know you think that they could shy away from that. Uh, I think that that's still something that they like having is with the staff that's currently in place, but you wouldn't get an argument out of me saying like, you know, if this team didn't need to go out full out on fixing the offense, then you could consider a guy like Brian Burns to where you've got two speed rushers playing outside starting him opposite of Yannick, obviously, you know, Calais wouldn't be in the fold at that point. And I'm not advocating for that, but maybe that's with a new staff where that comes in is like, I'd much prefer to have two speed edge rushers on the outside rather than the Seattle Gus Bradley defense. Yep. And maybe it's not even, 
Yeah, and maybe it's not even a lean bean like Brian Burns because he's a, he's still weighed in under 250, despite the fact I think he's put on like 20 pounds um, more than when he played at the season at Florida State. But a guy like Montez Sweat, who's close to 6'6", 260, you know, that's not exactly a small dude. Right. Uh, close to 36-inch arms and, uh, you know, tested really similar to Jadavian Clowney. Like, that's not necessarily the traditional strong side 285-pound guy like Calais Campbell, but he's a really stout run defender. And I think as long as you can hold the point of attack in the run game and funnel things inside, I don't think they really are going to care that much about the specific weight that the guy's on as long as he can do the job, if that makes sense. I definitely agree. No, for sure. Well, I think that should just about do it for us here. We went a lot longer than I was anticipating, but a good return of Philip Friday is nonetheless... Phil, thanks for ha- uh, stopping by, and I'm sure we're going to get you back on next week. Hopefully, Chris will finally be able to join. I'll be here, if, even if he's not. And we will catch up with you guys then. Uh, obviously, some more episodes will probably come your way in between now and then. Uh, so make sure to subscribe to Locked on Jaguars. Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us. Keep leaving those ratings and reviews. We've bumped up a good half star in the past week, so we really appreciate it. Now let's get it up to five flat. We'll catch up with you guys next time. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.